following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. You've all heard it time and time again, campaign promises. Don't you love them? Nah, me neither. Increasingly, we hear them with a heart of cynicism, but when you really pay attention, you'll notice something remarkable about campaign promises. The list often will include some sort of promise of justice in the courts, or peace and safety on the streets, or solid education, or better health care, and a prospering economy. And no matter high or no matter how low they make those promises, not any politician can pull this off at all. And the reason is simple. The human race cannot pull it off because our issues in society are not social, they're sinful. The issue is sin. And yet, why are we so drawn to what they say? Why is that such a powerful rhetoric? Well, simply because it's what we were made for. Simply because what they're promising is really what God alone can provide. Only God can pull this off. Not only internally, but externally in society and in our neighborhoods and in the world. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming And in His coming, He's going to establish a kingdom. And that kingdom will accomplish everything in our world that we have longed for all our lives. Everything that you've desired from society, everything will be accomplished by Jesus Christ. Christ alone can bring about perfect peace. Christ alone can bring about perfect justice. Christ alone can bring about perfect joy on earth. And Christ will make it happen in His kingdom in the coming thousand-year millennium. The millennium. A little boy asked his father, What's the millennium, Dad? His father replied, Don't you know what a millennium is? It's just like a centennial. It only has more legs. It's a subtle, subtle humor. Really, not that really good a joke. So anyway, but the (laughs) millennium is made up of two Latin words, uh, milli, uh, 1,000, and unum, years. Millennium means 1,000 years, 1,000 years. And yes, there are differing views on Christ's coming millennium, His kingdom. Now, some of you think, oh, it's on the basis of personality or favorite authors, Or you look at theology and you look at the smorgasbord and we go, well, we like the pre-mill, not the all-mill, not the post-mill. Listen, friends, that's not what determines your view of the millennium. It's very simple, and the foundation of it is your hermeneutic, how you interpret the Bible. If you interpret the Bible normally, literally, in all contexts, even prophetic passages, you will end up with a pre-millennial view. If you tend to spiritualize the text or make prophetic things somehow all fulfilled in Christ, and you change your hermeneutic, the way you would interpret the Bible for prophetic passages, 
you will end up with a all-millennial or a post-millennial view. Let me explain them. The all-millennial view means no millennium. No millennium. It's based upon using a different hermeneutic for prophetic passages than you do the rest of the Bible. You spiritualize future events. You say all these promises of uh, what Israel was promised in the Old Testament, what were promised in the New Testament, it's all fulfilled in Christ. And that's the only way with the Scripture you could believe that there's no coming kingdom. There's no coming millennium. The post-millennial view means that Christ returns after the thousand-year kingdom, that Christians will usher in by making society better for a thousand years by living under the law of God. Did you get that? Christians usher in the kingdom. This view calls Christians to transform society. We're going to do it so that we create the kingdom that then Jesus Christ returns to after a thousand years. And again, this requires, if you're an interpreter, to spiritualize prophetic passages. You don't take them in a normative sense. You don't take them in a literal sense. The premillennial view means that Christ returns pre or before the thousand-year kingdom. We've been studying, again, in our series, what is to come, uh, the rapture, the tribulation, and then the second coming of Christ. And now the kingdom, and the premillennial view would say he returns and then establishes a thousand-year kingdom. And if you interpret the Bible normatively, literally, you have that kind of hermeneutic, you apply it to all passages of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, I guarantee you, you will embrace a pre-millennial view. It's all about your hermeneutic. It's not about who you like. It's not about who your favorite author is. It's not about who taught you first about eschatology. It's all about how you interpret the Bible. And friends, there is a kingdom coming. There is. In the Old Testament, God repeatedly promised to Israel that they would enjoy a coming kingdom. Take a look at Zechariah 14.9 in your outline there. It says, and the Lord will be what? King. Come on, say it. He'll be what? King over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name will be the only one. The New Testament also promises a kingdom repeatedly using all different kinds of terms for kingdom. It calling it the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom, the kingdom which cannot be shaken, the world to come, times of refreshing, and the period of restoration of all things. All New Testament terms describing the coming kingdom. One of the clearest descriptions of the millennial kingdom in the entire Bible of Christ's coming uh, after he comes and establishes it is Revelation chapter 20, where the apostle John a total of six times in this passage, that he says the kingdom will be 1,000 years long. Now, if you're an all-mill or a post-mill, the 1,000 years that's repeated six times in this passage means something other than 1,000 years. You have to say that. You have to say it doesn't mean that. But we would say, normatively, what he's trying to say here is that the kingdom lasts 1,000 years because it says 1,000 years, not just once, but six times in this passage. We're going to look at four of them right now. Take a look at verse 1. I saw an angel and he had laid hold of the devil and bound him for how long? A thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss for how long? Until the thousand years were completed. After these things he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and then I sat on them and the judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for how long? 
thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. There's two more listed in this particular passage. And John states, the reign of Jesus Christ, your Savior, the one who died for you, is going to come back in all his glorious state. He's going to return and will be for 1,000 years ruling on planet Earth. 1,000 years. Christ's kingdom is going to be 1,000 years. There, now, there are several places in Scripture where it states that Christ's kingdom will last forever. And this has led many to conclude that the 1,000 years in Revelation 20 can't be literal. But the best way to reconcile this apparent conflict is to recognize that both these statements are true. Christ will rule in his kingdom for a thousand years, and he will reign forever. That's right. The future kingdom of God has two parts, two phases. Phase one is the millennial reign of Christ on this earth for a thousand years. Phase two is the eternal state uh, where he reigns forever. In reality, the millennial kingdom is really the front porch to eternity. It's the beginning. And this is going to be an incredible time. Are you ready to live in the Garden of Eden? Are you ready? Because that's what this planet is going to be like. A time on this earth when Christ will literally, physically, gloriously rule all the nations of the earth, reigning in Jerusalem all over the world through glorified saints, and around the world he will have his presence felt. This morning, you need to know about the kingdom. You need to know about the rule of Christ. You know, one of the great themes, if not the greatest theme of the entire Bible, is the rule of Christ. Establishing the rule of Jesus Christ. And you need to know what to look forward to. You need to know what your heart is craving for and longing for. You need to see and embrace the privileged place that you hold as one of Christ's children, and that's the kingdom. So this morning, I want you to take a tour with me, all right? Like a real estate agent, I'd like you to walk through the kingdom with me and show you all the highlights there. And guess what? If you're in Christ, you get it for free. Isn't that great? It's all going to be good. No payments, no loans, no Fannie Mae. It's going to be awesome. And understand the incredible plan of God. And I'm going to ask three crucial questions. Point number one in your outline, why must there be a millennium? Why? Uh, you just saying. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And there are several reasons why Christ will establish his kingdom and power and glory for a thousand years after his return to earth. Why? Well, first in your outline, to realize the promises of God. To realize the promises of God. God made many unconditional, unilateral, and eternal promises to Israel that will only find fulfillment in the millennial kingdom. God promises he will rule this world. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 24. For I will take you from the nations, he says to Israel. I will gather you from all the lands and I will bring you to what? Your own land. And then I'm going to totally transform you. I'm going to wash your heart. I'm going to cause you to be born again. Not only does this new covenant here include the indwelling Holy Spirit, a new washed clean heart, but along with those promises, promises to Israel that we partake in in the church, God says he will bring them into the land. He's going to restore them to the land with Christ as their king. In fact, there are more you could write down. It's not in your outline. Daniel 2.44 in the days of those kings, uh, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. 
that kingdom will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Daniel 7, 18, but the saints of the highest one will receive a kingdom and possess that kingdom forever and ever for all ages to come. God says, look, I'm going to keep my promise to Israel. In fact, if the sun stops shining and the moon stops shining, then you can believe that I will not keep my promises. But if they keep shining, you know that I'm going to keep my promises. And he says that in Jeremiah chapter 31, 35 and following. Listen, is God coming back to establish a kingdom? Yes or no? Yes, he is. And why would he do that? Well, secondly, to redeem creation. To redeem creation. Is creation groaning right now? Yes, it is. P.T. Barnum, you know that name, the famous circus showman, he loved to show visiting preachers his exhibit. He called it the happy family, and which in the cage were lions, tigers, and panthers squatting around a lamb, a live lamb, without any aggression. He called it the happy family. When Barnum was asked by the visiting preachers if the group ever had any trouble, he would say, apart from replenishing the lamb now and then, they get along very well. <laughs> you know, this world is not what it's supposed to be, right? Uh, it's, it's not really what God you know, ultimately intended it to be. And the Bible declares that someday all wars will cease, animals will have a different relationship with each other and with mankind, and the world will be unified under Christ's reign. Wow. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, God pronounced a series of curses. Maybe you're familiar with that. Five curses were pronounced against the serpent, Satan, the woman, the man, and nature itself. And from that time until today, the earth has been cursed as evidenced by thorns and thistles and hard work that's required to scratch out a living. Uh, make it practical for you, that new crop of crabgrass in your lawn, yeah, that right now is a small, vivid reminder of the curse of Genesis chapter 3. Some of you picking weeds in your yard lately? Genesis 3, baby, okay? The curse on nature is poignantly described in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, and then I'll read verse 22 as well. It says in 19, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. And then verse 22 is even more poignant. It says, for we know that the whole creation groans. All of creation suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. In other words, the crucial function, one crucial function of the millennium, the kingdom, will be to reverse God's curse on creation. During the kingdom, all animals will revert back to being plant eaters. Are you ready for that? As they were originally. The lion and the lamb will lie down together in harmony. The child will be able to play next to a poisonous snake without fear at all. Take a look at Isaiah 11.6. Take a look at it. This is a kingdom verse. It says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze together. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. No fear, little anger, no conflict. The earth will become amazingly productive 
amazingly more beautiful. Deserts will blossom. Fruit trees will produce the best possible fruit. The whole earth will become a huge, perfect, productive garden. Are you looking forward to that? It's going to be great. Why else a millennium? Thirdly, to reward the faithful. To reward the faithful. During the millennial kingdom, the saints will be awarded positions of authority. If you're a saint, you're a Christian, you get a position of authority based on the degree of your faithfulness in this life. Luke chapter 19 talks about that. Uh, In the parable, he talks about, Master, your mina has made ten more minas. And Jesus said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over what? Ten cities. We will represent Christ to regions around the world. That's your job in the kingdom. Your job. We're talking about you. We will reign with Christ and for Christ. Some of you are going, no, 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 not me. No, you. You will represent Christ on the basis of your faithfulness on how God made us and gifted us in the spirit for his glory. We'll see more about that in a minute. We say, well then, okay, that's the millennium. Why the millennium? Well then, what? will the millennium be like? Number two in your outline. What will it be like? During the millennial reign of Christ, the earth will experience a return to the conditions like the Garden of Eden. It will be literally heaven on earth as the Lord of heaven comes to earth to live among his people. And the Bible has a lot to say about this period of time. It really does. So walk with me, if you would, through the millennium in Marietta and Temecula and Wildemar, even Hemet. What are the prominent conditions which will prevail on earth during the reign of Christ? Well, look at the first one in your outline, joy. You're just saying, you are joy, you are joy. Uh, You're the reason that I sing, you're joy. In the millennial kingdom, it will be characterized by endless joy. Endless joy. Zephaniah 3.14 is a millennial verse, shout for joy, O daughter of Zion, shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt in your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The millennium is stamped with full joy. No more road rage. No more people cutting you off. No more southwest stewardesses getting punched. Uh, No more Walmart attacks. You know, Isaac Watts, you know that. He wrote a, a hymn, we sing it, called Joy to the World. You know that hymn? He didn't write it to be a Christmas carol. He penned it to announce the glorious second coming of Christ to rule and to reign on this earth. That was his purpose. Remember the words, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. No more let sins and sorrows grow. He rules the world with truth and grace. This is a song of the millennium when full joy finally comes upon the world. Full joy. And as you live during the kingdom, there will be holiness and glory. Holiness and glory. Holy means to be set apart uniquely for God's purposes. The rule of Christ will be a holy kingdom. Speaking of the kingdom, Isaiah 35 verse 8 says there will be a highway there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for those, him, who walks that way. 
and fools will not wander on it. The land, the city, the temple, the subjects of the kingdom will all be holy unto the Lord. The predominant view will be holiness. Not everything and every person will be holy, but it will be predominant holiness. And along with holiness, the luminous glory of God will be fully unleashed and manifested everywhere. Isaiah 40, verse 5, Then the glory of the Lord will be, what? Revealed. And all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Light in God's presence will be everywhere, creating joy and more of God's attributes everywhere. And when glory comes, it'll also be justice and righteousness. Justice. You know, you long for justice. When things are unfair, you cry for justice. And yet, when the millennial kingdom begins, it will be inhabited by only believers. In fact, when it begins, it will only be believers. However, those believers, like us now, will have human babies. And those babies will have fallen nature, capable of sinning, rebelling, and rejecting Christ. Regular human people will still sin in the millennium, but that sin will be judged with perfect justice at the hands of the Messiah. It will be contained. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Christ will rule with a rod of iron, the Bible tells us, restraining and judging sin, but the prevailing atmosphere of the kingdom will be righteousness. And along with that, economic prosperity. Now that's why it sounds like a campaign promise, doesn't it? But it will be economic prosperity. Isaiah 62 verse 8 tells us that. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and his strong arm, I will never again give your grain as food for your enemies, nor will foreigners drink of new wine for which you have labored. For those who garner it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it will drink in it uh, the courts of my sanctuary, and they will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. There will not be any need for welfare. No more Social Security use 65 and above. No more food stamps. No more relief agencies in the millennium. The world will flourish under the hand of the King of Kings. Absolutely flourish. There will be an abundance and plenty for all the inhabitants of the world. And what is truly awesome in the kingdom is there is no sickness and there's no deformity. Our politicians are constantly working on plans to provide better health care but in the Lord's government, the health plan will be absolutely fantastic. You will have absolutely no worries at all. Everyone will be at the best health care you can possibly imagine. Yes, let me celebrate. There will be no more Obamacare. That's correct. Isaiah 33, 24. No resident will say, I'm sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. 35 verse 5, and then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap for like a deer. The tongue of the mute will shout for joy. The king of kings will be the healer. He will cure all the diseases and deformities of his people, and as a result, people will live extended lifespans, just like people did before the flood. Take a look at Isaiah 65 verse 20, talking about the millennial kingdom. No longer will there be it an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. 
what he's saying is a person who dies at the age of 100 in the millennium will be considered someone who died prematurely. Regular human beings will live a very, very long time. And all of us will enjoy the universal worship of God. In your outline, the universal worship of God, all the inhabitants of the earth will enthusiastically offer themselves to Christ in worship as we begin the millennium. Take a look at this verse, Isaiah 52, verse 8. Listen, your watchmen, lift up your voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth and shout joyfully together. Worship during the millennium will be focused on Christ and centered around the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Something that you might find unusual in the scripture when it describes the millennium is that one unique aspect of worship in the millennium is that animal sacrifices will be reinstated during the millennium. Ezekiel 43 verse 18, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, these are the statutes for the altar on the day that it is built to offer burnt offerings on it and to sprinkle blood on it. And that is a millennial passage. These sacrifices are not pointing to a hopeful atonement in the future. They're actually serving as a powerful, powerful reminder, a memory recall, pointing the people of the millennium back back to the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. These sacrifices will serve in the future like the Lord's Supper reminds us of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and His holiness and the awfulness of sin and the death of the Savior uh, who died in our place. But the best part of the millennium The one that we're looking forward to more than anything is the presence of Christ himself. The presence of Christ himself. He will be on planet earth, friends. And the Lord's people will experience a sweet kind of fellowship with the Lord. Unlike anything they've ever known. Ezekiel 48 says the city of Jerusalem at that time, Ezekiel 48, will be called Jehovah Shammah. Or Shammah. Jehovah Shammah. And that means the Lord is there. The Lord is there. He'll be present there. Well, okay, you're getting it. You're loving it. So number three in your outline, how will everyday life be different in the millennium? How will everyday life be different? Well, everyday life will be different in the millennium because of who is there. Because of who is there. Yes, the earth will be redone, but also the millennium will be inhabited by four types. Are you ready? Here are the four types in the millennium. Type number one, human believers. Human believers. These are the ones who survived the seven-year tribulation on earth. These are born-again Christians who will enter the thousand-year kingdom in their natural physical bodies, just like ours right now. They will live in houses. They'll do work. They'll marry. They'll have children. Some will even die. That's going to happen in the millennium. As regular human beings, they will still possess a sinful nature. Therefore, they will sin during the millennium despite the fact that the devil is not there to tempt them. And remember, type 1 folks will live for a very long time. Since sin and death was present, though, during the millennium, disease will also be present. But the Lord will heal those who come to him, much like he did during his earthly ministry, and Christ will be the great physician for the world. It is possible that those who are like us, who enter into the millennium from the tribulation, 
uh, and those who submit to Christ in salvation, they might live for hundreds of years. We already saw that from Isaiah. Uh, they might even live the entire thousand years, who knows, and receive their glorified body at the end of the millennium because they need that to enter heaven for eternity. Say, so why do I say that? You can't live in eternity with a flesh and blood body. Uh, you need an eternal body, a new glorified body, to live eternally. So type 2 will be glorified believers are those who enter the millennium. These are those who died or were raptured before the tribulation. If you're a Christian here today, if you're born again, if you really are saved and you're a genuine follower of Christ, this is you. This is you. You have already received your new glorified body. You will not have a sinful nature. Therefore, you will not sin, nor be able to sin. Can I hear an amen? That's right. And this type will reign and rule with Christ during the millennium. Revelation 20, verse 4. Look at it. It says, they came to life and they what? They reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Believers in glorified bodies may be able to go back and forth between this earth and heaven during this time. We don't really know for sure. Uh, but the fact is that both type 1 human believers and type 2 glorified saints will exist side by side on earth is going to make the millennium a very unusual place. Would you agree? There's going to be people who never sin, who are in glorified bodies, and people who are like us in human bodies living in the millennium. That's going to be an unprecedented experience. Type 3 are unsaved offspring. You know those human types that are going into the millennium who come out of the tribulation? Meaning not everyone born during the millennium is going to turn to Christ for salvation and become a true disciple of Jesus. Now that sounds crazy, I know. But there are some who are born during the millennium who do not submit to Christ in their hearts. I mean, imagine that, friends. Righteousness is felt. Joy is predominant all over this world. Economic prosperity, justice, holiness, a glorified Christ, glorified saints everywhere, and yet there will be some human believers who have children. Those children will not all turn to Christ. Those who outwardly rebel during the millennium will be judged quickly by the Lord. Isaiah 11.4 refers to that. With righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. It's going to be very, very firm. There's going to be no war, no insurrection for a thousand years, no antichrist, no persecution, no devil will be tolerated by the king. Those who have disagreements or grievances will bring them to the Lord who will act as final arbiter and mediator to all disputes both nationally and personally. He might even do it through his glorified saints. But some people will still not trust in Christ. Some will still not trust in Christ, and we know that. Type 4 is the Lord himself. Type 4 is the Lord of glory. What makes the millennium so special? Listen, if you're looking forward to the millennium, it's looking forward to being with Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ will be present on earth in person. He will be personally present here, ruling as king. He will rule the world from the city of Jerusalem. It might be that angels are actually present. They all come at the second coming. They might be present. So we've got glorified saints. We've got angels coming and going. And we've got Christ himself. 
And all the leaders, nations, peoples will flood into the city to pay homage to the king and honor to his chosen people, the Jews. Zephaniah 3.15, look at it. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your what? In your midst. Isaiah 60, verse 3, look at it. Nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in the arms. Our king, Jesus Christ, will sit on his throne receiving homage, dispensing justice, healing the sick, meting out judgment and justice, administering all the details of his kingdom. He will rule this planet with a rod of iron and everything will revolve around the king. Why would it not? He's the Savior. Jesus, the last Adam, will do perfectly and completely what the first Adam was totally unable and failed to do. He will take dominion over creation and completely fulfill God's original pur purpose for man. It will be Christ establishing his rule for eternity. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it to happen? There are powerful truths here, friends. And I want you to take these home with you. Are you ready? Letter A, reaffirm the total depravity of man. Reaffirm the total depravity of man. You say, Chris, why are you saying that? The literal thousand-year millennial kingdom is to once and for all prove to the universe the true nature of humankind. God's Word clearly teaches that mankind is sinful both in our very nature as well as our practices and actions. Can I hear an amen to that? We are corrupt. People are not good. Every voice you hear today is telling you they're good. They're not. Christ's coming kingdom will be the final conclusive proof of this fact. Why is that? Now think about it. Christ is physically present in all His glory in the millennial reign. He is reigning. He is ruling a restored earth. Satan, the tempter, is removed and bound for a thousand years. Perfect glorified saints, you all are representing Christ, ruling for Christ everywhere around the planet. Some of you get to be in Maui. Some of us will get to be in Hemet. But we'll all be ruling everywhere. And the people living on the earth the human beings, the regular people like you and I, they will enjoy a perfect environment, harmless animals, massive food production, perfect health. And yet the Bible says in spite of these perfect conditions, there is a host of people who will be born after that initial crop of all starting with believers. They'll be born, then raised during the season. These offspring will reject the Lord in their hearts. Perfect environment. Christ is here. Glorified saints, probably angels manifesting themselves, and they will reject Christ. They will outwardly conform to avoid the Lord's swift judgment, but inwardly they will harbor a rebellious heart against the King of Kings. They will not be saved. They will not be born again. They will not submit to Christ in their hearts. And then when Satan is released at the end of the millennium, he will able to gather just a few. No, friends, not just a few. It says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 8, that the number of them that he gathers is like the sand of the seashore. That many will try to rebel against Christ. They'll try to surround God's followers. They'll try to destroy Christ, his city, his people, which Christ deals with swiftly and easily. 
at the end of all time before we step into the eternal state. And the fact that Satan is able to so quickly gather a group of rebels implies that at the end of the thousand years, many regular offspring of the original human Christians during the millennium will refuse to submit to Christ as Lord and Savior. The millennium is God's final proof piece, proving beyond doubt that regardless of a person's heredity, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your race or your environment, they are and you are massively sinful. Apart from God's saving grace, Henry Morris, author of the Revelation record, adds his commentary uh, to Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 through 10. This is what he says, quote, look at it in your outline. One of the most amazing commentaries on the fallen human nature is to be found in all the word of God is right here in this. After 1,000 years of a perfect environment with an abundance of material possessions and spiritual instruction for everyone, no crime, no war, no external temptation to sin, with the personal presence of all the resurrected saints and even Christ himself, with Satan and all his demons bound in the abyss, there are still a multitude of unsaved men and women on earth who are ready to rebel against the Lord the first time they get a chance. The millennium is proof positive that man's heart, woman's heart, is dark with sin. Can I hear an amen to that? It's true. That's why we need a Savior, friends. That's why we desperately need to cry out for someone to forgive us and cleanse us and make us new. And we don't just need to be covered in His righteousness. We need a new heart. A new heart that's made new, that can follow Christ, that wants to please Him. And that's what He does in salvation. 1,000-year reign of Christ provides overwhelming evidence that you and I must have a righteousness outside of ourselves to come into a relationship with a holy God. You cannot make it on your own. The righteousness we need is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God credits that perfect righteousness to you who all who turn to Jesus Christ in faith. It doesn't cost you anything except your life. You exchange your life for his life. You put all your hope in him. He covers you with his righteousness. Letter B. Reign and rule. Reign and rule. When Jesus Christ returns to earth at the second coming, he will bring all his saints with him. You come back. You've got a round trip ticket. Jude 14 says, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his Holy ones, that's us. Revelation 19, 14. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, that's the righteousness of Christ, white and clean, were following him on white horses. After Christ defeats the armies of the Antichrist at Armageddon, he judges the nations, he'll establish his kingdom on earth, and his saints are going to rule with him. And while you will certainly worship the Lord, and while you will certainly serve the Lord and discover new things about God for all eternity during the millennium and beyond, the function that the Scripture emphasizes during the millennium, that emphasizes, is ruling and reigning with Christ. You might be uncomfortable with that. I am. I am. You know what, for me, just being saved is enough, but not for the Lord. He not only wants to reward me, but He wants to and then use me as a, to, to reign with him. I don't understand that kind of grace. That's far beyond me. Do you, are you with me on that? But that's how much he wants to lavish us. 
And while you certainly will worship, you will reign with him during those thousand years. Daniel 7.27, look at it. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all kingdoms under the whole of heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. Given to you. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey him. 1 Corinthians 6, 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that you will judge angels? Revelation 2, 26, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give what? Authority over what? The nations. Man, that's much. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Revelation 20, verse 4, Then I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, and they came to life, and what? Reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Blessed and holy is the one who is a part of the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. Can you imagine... Rob, ruling Marietta. Rob, right there. Jim Evans, he gets all of Temecula. Aaron, you get, you get, you get Hammett, okay? <laughs> We're going to rule the nations. We're going to rule nations around this planet. We'll be glorified. We'll be sinless. We'll have the character of Christ. We'll be one with Christ and we'll dispense His will. Are you getting it? He wants to use you and will use you. And what you do now makes a big difference. During your lifetime, you're being evaluated by the Lord right now to determine your future position of authority and responsibility in His coming literal kingdom. According to Luke 19, you'll be given rulership of the kingdom based on what you did with the treasures, the talents, the giftedness, the money, the service that God entrusted to you in this life. Some will be governors of ten cities. Some will be rulers of five cities. Some will have some acreage in Hemet. Every genuine Christian will rule, but the extent and responsibility of that reign is being determined right now by your service and by your sacrifice. One preacher said this, this is training time for reigning time. Letter C, regeneration. Regeneration. Some of you have been fooled. Some of you have been fooled. You accepted Jesus in a prayer, but you still live for yourself. This is the predominant Christianity that we find in Southern California. People who pray prayers and then basically live their own way with a little Jesus sticker. But understand, you don't have a new heart and you've not been born again unless it demonstrates in your life. When he changes you internally, it demonstrates itself externally. Faith without works is dead. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you don't get to see the kingdom. Born again means you're regenerate. Christ has changed your inner nature. You look the same on the outside, but you're not the same. You're not the same. Meaning this, when you're born again, you want to obey the word of God. That's Romans 6.17. You want to interconnect with the church family. 
You don't want to snake off right after the sermon and snake off trying not to interconnect with. You want to be connected with God's people, even when it's uncomfortable. You want to give. You want to serve. You want to, because he's given you that heart. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And I want those birds to go away. I want to. You actually want to faithfully gather. You've got that heart. Not because you have to. We get a bad rap sometimes as Christians, and people look at us and think, oh, a bunch of rule keepers. We, listen, we're following Christ, and we obey the Scripture, not because we have to, but because we want to. Because He gave us a new heart that wants to. Some of you don't want to follow Christ. There might be one or two of you who don't want to submit to Christ. You don't want to please Christ. You don't want to follow Christ. If that's you, it doesn't matter how long you've called yourself a Christian or attended church, you're not a Christian. You have to have a heart that wants to follow even when you disobey Him, laying on the ground in failure. You're laying there going, I still want to follow Him. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a heart change. All genuine Christians follow Christ. All genuine Christians obey His Word. He is your Lord because He changed your life, your heart. How could you not want to follow the One who gave you everything? Who suffered and died on your behalf, not because He had to, but because He chose to out of love and mercy for you. Today, wake up. Cry out to Christ to regenerate you, to cause you to be internally born again. Only God can do it. Just as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His incredible grace and great mercy, has what? Caused us to be born again. Listen, friends, for you to be saved, God's got to do it. And you need to cry out to Him to change your heart so you have a heart that wants to follow Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's look forward to the kingdom. Heavenly Father, thank You so much that we can manifest a little bit of kingdom life now, a little bit of what it's going to be like as we fellowship with one another, as we treat one another. We look forward to those days when it will be absolute perfection. We look forward to those days when we'll no longer be hampered with that sin residuum and that memory of sin and our tripping up over our own sinfulness. We look forward to the day when animal life and, and, and the production of this planet is absolutely perfect, like the Garden of Eden. But most of all, we look forward to you ruling this planet, making all the wrongs right, bringing absolute righteousness and justice and holiness. Father, we can't wait for that, for your Son to return. And until then, help us to, as we get a little taste of the kingdom, help us to live that out and show what it's like and what it will be like. And Father, for any who don't know you, would you please shake them, wake them up, crush their heart of stone so that they might respond to you with a heart of flesh and submit to you as their Savior and their Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast 
and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.